Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today, Grace? Oh, can't complain. Thanks for asking. I can tell you, we are certainly going to talk about Season 3, Episode 9, Shadows. Directed by Tanya McKiernan, written by Bob Goodman and Holly Harold. Original air date, September 12th, 2011. And the thing I noticed looking at this, you know, the chart on Wikipedia of list of warehouse 13 episodes is um the uh because it also lists like the rating you know the number of millions of viewers and it's right. been going down pretty steadily which makes sense like and this is this is the first episode that got less than 2 million viewers it's at 1.91 and it just kind of keeps going down from there for the rest of the series save for um season 4 episode 1 which spikes back up into 2.1 hmm yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure cuz it's not like they changed up the format much. Well, they kind of did, right? Like in the earlier seasons it was a lot more, you know, monster of the week, and this is getting a lot more into the the regent bullshit. Yeah, there are certainly more characters going on, like characters you're expected to remember. Mhm. Uh but which like uh, could be done very well. Like, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Right. But... Yeah, I... I don't know, it's, uh... I certainly stopped watching around that time myself, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you why. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I just... I'm guessing I just wasn't watching as much TV. Yeah. And... I can tell you that the worst-rated episode of the season was, uh, you want to guess? Ooh, of this season? Yep. Uh, Here's a hint. It's one we've seen. Which I'm actually going a- with Queen for a day. You are incorrect. It was the greatest gift. Okay. It was the Christmas episode. Wait, wait, have we seen that one? This season's Christmas episode? Oh, no, this that's the next one. Oh, in that but case... We've only seen one of the two, yeah. In that case, uh... Thank you for coming to Princess Grace's Unwinnable Games. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, you won't be going home empty-handed. You've won our consolation prize, a recap. Luckily, now that you're a trading card, the games are unwinnable by design. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah. Rules yeah, for as long as you're you're in control of it, you know. Yeah. It, Rules for the and not for me. Right. That's some good super uh super villain shit. Yeah. Like you set up a complicated, convoluted game and you make sure that it's unwinnable. Dear, did you really it's think it's a good time. Do you really think I'd let you out? <laughs> uh Okay, so You'll never guess that we're opening on a recap again. Oh, I, would, I wouldn't dream of it. I would not dream of having it recap to me, the, A, the rule that you get one, and B, the fact that the regents exist, or whatever. Right, and don't forget Steve. You gotta know why uh, he's gone. Yep. Steve's gone yep. now. Here lies Steve. Well, he's still alive. Right. Yeah, he just pointed a gun at his boss, yeah. and so they fired him. Here lies Steve. 
I don't know if we ever get confirmation whether he scored one way or the other. Uh, we will eventually. Uh, congrats, <laughs> Steve, on fucking. Uh, and then we kind of cut to the episode proper, and Pete is mad at his mom because she didn't tell him he, she was a regent. So, I, I do have to say that, like, uh, Pete, I guess Eddie in this case, does a lot of really good body language work to, like, appear like a moody, like, teen. Yeah. Yeah, like, right down to, like, him lying on his bed and, like, throwing a stress ball at the wall. Right. Which is very much, like, disappointed slash moody kid energy. Yeah, there, there's so much subtle stuff he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he's all worked up, so he's upstanding, and his mom asks him to uh, sit down because he's making her nervous. And he, like, sits halfway off of the chair, like, with attitude. <laughs> uh, angrily sits. Yep. And... Yeah, that, that was good. That... Those two, uh, Pete and his mom, Jane, have really good on-screen chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, they really disappear into the roles. Like, it's very easy to believe that they're related. Which, you know, again, yep. that's just acting, but, you know, they're good at acting. Maybe sometimes we're a little hard on the show, and it's, it's good to, like, point out the things they do well. Right. Yeah, and if anything... What they do well is character interactions. Like, the the actors historically have done very well at establishing connections. Whether it's, you know, Micah and Pete, or uh, Micah and uh, HG, Claudia and whoever they happen to put her with that week. Yeah. Like, they... <laughs> They managed to make that work really well. Yeah. I, I think that really was the success of the show that caused people to care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also what, like... And then when they do those characters dirty, or they, you know... They write, like, weird convoluted plots that kill off people you care about. It's... You know, it's frustrating. Cause, yeah. Because they don't seem to know what they have. They don't seem to quite grok where their strengths lie. Right. But, uh, I'm not sure if they gave us a title card or not. I had to go back and work out that this is apparently taking place in Portland. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, and I noticed that I didn't see a title card, but I also noticed that I think they either say Portland or what I did is I paused it when, like, the people scroll by and one of them was in Portland. Okay. We see a woman, uh leaving her home while her husband mows the lawn. And they're, like, having a conversation, which makes it clear that the writers have never used a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not shouting at each other. Yeah, like, if you are talking to someone using a lawnmower, they have to turn it off to talk to you. Right. <laughs> yeah, this guy's just mowing along, and his wife is sitting in her car talking out the window at him. Yeah. And he even, he initiates the conversation, I think. He says, you know, don't, maybe she does, but, like, he does, like, say, like, don't forget to pick up the dry cleaning or whatever. Yeah, like, this happens, but you have to stop the lawnmower to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
which you know would be easy to do he's not on screen for most of it like he can right you know you could if you had just not dubbed in the lawnmower noise it would have been fine yeah just record lawnmower shutting down once yeah (laughs) but i mean that's tv magic you don't have to care about the fact that this conversation couldn't actually happen yeah yeah because let's be honest the real meat here is uh the fact that this man explodes into a skeleton and that explode well he explodes in such a way that you can see a skeleton before he is just atomized right yeah his skeleton comes out says peekaboo and then he's completely gone yeah which is according to scientists one of the worst ways to die yeah <laughs> uh and so- and also like lights go out the car battery dies uh lights explode yeah, there's some electromagnetic stuff happening, mm-hmm. presumably. An electromagnetic pulse of sorts, perhaps. Uh, we go back to the warehouse, and uh, Claudia and Micah are, like, yelling-ish yeah. at Artie yeah, so, about, about Steve, mostly. Yeah, so before this, before we see a, the skeleton explosion, uh, Mrs. Frederick shows up and says something about A to Z technologies, and Mom gets a vibe. And Pete's like, you're getting vibes? I get vibes. And maybe I haven't been paying attention, but it seems like people talk about Pete's vibes more than Pete actually gets vibes. Right, they've forgotten about the vibes. Yeah, like, the only time vibes come up is, like, when someone else gets a vibe and Pete's like, oh, that's my thing. You're getting one of my things. Right. Yeah, like, I don't know. The only case I can think of is, like, Pete at the Mint uh, got a vibe and then concealed it from Micah so Mm -hmm. that he could give her back her mojo. Yeah. But, yeah, it seems like they've kind of gotten away from the vibes economy. Yeah, which is fine. (laughs) It's okay to, like, write things out of a character. Because you know what it is. They, like... Okay, well, we need, like, a way for... We need a way for this guy to know things without us having to write it. Right, we can always advance the plot anytime we need to. Yeah, and then, you know, to their credit, they didn't have to lean on it very often. Yeah. Yeah, we've accidentally written in too sensible a way, and everything immediately follows, so we don't need his vibes. Yeah, it it helps that, like, they, they can almost always call up Artie and his magic computer. Right. Uh, and then, yes, so, Claudia and, a streakless Claudia, mind you, and Micah are mad at Artie, to, and they are, to the point where he shouts, this is not snag, bag, and nag, which is, yep. <laughs> certainly a line. Yeah, he, uh, then insists that they have to go check out the ping, uh, which is our exploding lawnmower man yep though i will say it seems a little it's a little weird for Artie to say this like it's men never get accused of nagging yeah it doesn't bug me that much but it's certainly yeah it's a little i don't want to say it's misogynistic that's a little much like he, he was saying it because it rhymes and it fits into their little saying that they have Right. But it, it doesn't seem like a particularly arty line. Yeah. It, it just was, someone came up with it and thought it was clever and it had to go in one way or another. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah, and so, you know, he kind of shouts at Claudia and Micah to get out. You know, he says, all of you get out here, and we see Trailer the Dog from a few episodes ago. Uh, yep. who, who tries to leave, and like, no, no, not you, you're great. You can stay. Yeah. Perhaps we should mention the reason Pete is so upset with, uh, discovering that his mom is a regent. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it, it's... A pretty well-established character trait of Pete, that he is very ready to trust, but if you betray him, it hurts him quite badly. Mm -hmm. So the idea that his mom would keep something like this from him is really hurtful to him. Mm -hmm. And what I would have liked to see in this episode is, as we know, the rule is you get one. You can tell one person. And, And Pete's mom told her husband, which, you know, reasonable. Right, and so, reasonable and, back when Pete was, like, eight. Yeah. But then her husband was uh, out of the picture uh, pretty soon thereafter. Yeah, like, does that count? Like, if your one dies, do you get another one? I mean... It would make sense. It, it does. Like, yeah, presumably you ought to get another one. Yeah. Because, like, that was... That was my rationale. Like, she didn't tell Pete because she used up her one. Yeah, because having one doesn't contribute to the security of the warehouse. So there, the, the rationale is that it contributes to the, uh, like, the, like, the warehouse staff need that sort of opportunity. Yeah, you need, yeah, you need an escape hatch and you need to, like, you can't ruin... You know, you can't ruin your relationship because, like, you can't tell people what you do. You right. Know? And so having a new one, if your one is gone, seems only sensible. Yeah. Because it has a it has a social function, not a security function. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, like it's yeah, it's kind of both in that you could make an argument for. Once you have your one, you're not going to tell anyone else. You have someone you can talk to about this. It is a lot easier to keep a secret if, yeah, if you have someone who is in on it with yeah. you. Yeah, you know, if... What the... Yeah, like... setting People a, like to complain about their work. Yeah, exactly. Like, setting aside, like, all the bullshit that goes on in the warehouse, if you couldn't complain about your job to someone, I would fucking die. Yeah, it would be very difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, I noted Artie is having a rough go of it. Because <laughs> he's, he's clearly more emotionally affected than normal. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, he's got the stress of uh, dealing with a bunch of dead regents, yeah. someone actively attacking them. them. And getting rid of Steve. Yeah, he's down to Steve. And Steve was the emotional center of the warehouse after being there for, like, four episodes. <laughs> right. Everyone loved Steve. They loved the way he was gay and a Buddhist and bald. Yep, they were big fans. <laughs> like, uh, uh... Oh, so... Oh, Steve, you're... Rubbing your head will bring me luck and solace in these trying times. Uh, anyways. 
Yep. So, uh, Peter Claudia said, and Micah relocate to Portland to try and gather some info on whatever's going on. Though mm-hmm. so I think before this, we get uh, before Micah leaves, she does go like talk to Pete, who is, as we said earlier, lying on his like lying on his bed and bouncing a, a stress ball or something off the wall. And Micah, oh, yeah. and Micah has to, like, sit down and is like, how you doing, champ? You want to knock that off? Yeah. <laughs> and You know I have the room on the other side of that wall, right? <laughs> uh, and they have a little heart-to-heart. And uh, I, Mrs. Frederick and Pete's mom have a, a conversation about, you know, because one of the reasons... It's Sally, right? Pete's mom's name is Sally? No, it's not Sally. Jane. It's Jane. We already have a Sally. I'm gonna write that down. Uh, but, uh... Jane is having a rough time of it because, frankly, she didn't want Pete to be an agent. She did. She wanted to protect him from all this. And, right. And so Sally's... Jane... Why do I keep wanting to call her Sally? Is having... You know, she's having a rough time and... Mrs. Frederick is, you know, trying to empathize with her, and Jane says, you know, that's easy for you to say, Irene, your son isn't an agent. Which I think is a little bit of a Mrs. Frederick lore we didn't have before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it's possible she doesn't even have a son. Like, you can still say that to someone. Oh, that's a good point. Like, but... I, yeah. Like, the way she said it implied it was... She did have a son, or at least like a, a loved one in that in a similar position. And then we go to Portland, where, uh, among other things, we are treated to Micah's cool, cool flip-up shades. Oh yeah. Yep. And uh, we go to the t-shirt shop mm-hmm. that the guy who was mowing the lawn apparently was the manager of mm-hmm. owner of maybe i think they said owner and uh where we meet uh violet that one stan yeah the vi i wrote viola but violet makes more sense that's violet's the name people have especially cool goth ladies who uh think aliens blew up their boss Right, yeah, she's very convinced that aliens uh, definitely did it, whatever yeah. it is. Frankly, I think I should have Violet work at the warehouse. I think she'd be good at it. Right. And, uh... She also used the word JJ. <laughs> uh, uh... Specifically about... Stan has a preference for a lot of sparkles in his designs? Basically because it's flashy, I guess. Yeah, the fact that this and guy flashy uses... flashy cells. Yeah, the fact that this man uses a lot of... It's glitter. It's like specifically glitter in his t-shirts yeah. is a plot point. And in fact, the fact that glitter gets everywhere is a plot point in this. But it's... That makes it... That would make me less likely to buy a t-shirt. I don't want glitter all over everything I own. Right. Yeah, uh, Violet, in fact, claims to have ended up with glitter in her vajayjay, Hmm. which is certainly a line that you can say on television, (laughs) but you don't have to, I promise. Uh, It costs zero dollars to not say that. Uh, 
And then this is the point where we see the the guy turn up outside of that apartment, uh, ringing the bell, right? Yeah, we see. Yeah, we see a guy shouting into an apartment, like, "I know you're in there. I just want to talk, or whatever." Yep, and uh, he goes around to the side where the window has been covered with like pizza boxes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we we are uh, we're inside, and we see you know we kind of see a the back of someone's head move away. Yeah, and then the dude explodes. Yep, he. He does get skeleton TF'd. Yep. Very briefly TF'd into a skeleton and then TF'd into a uh, a black mark on a sign. Mm-hmm. It happens to the best of us. Oh, and also this guy who, by all accounts, is kind of a creep. Right. Uh, back at the warehouse, Jane at it, Jane and Irene and Artie are discussing options uh, for following up on her vibe, and they're going to go inside of her head. Yep, they're going to use these bronzed baby shoes for sale, never worn, and walk into her memories. Horace Westlake Frink's bronze baby shoes, in fact. All right, who's that? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see how quick I can work that out. American psychologist and psychoanalyst who became one of the founding members of the New York Psychoanalytic Society. Well, it makes sense. Frequently surrendered himself to the psychoanalysis of Sigmund Freud to better understand himself. Uh, Los Angeles Times article titled Sigmund Freud urged his disciple to divorce, wanted him to marry another woman, daughter finds. They have, like, like what they do with characters, they have appearances on the wiki page for the, uh, the bronze baby shoes, mm-hmm. but it's just seasons one through three, and it has absent for everything except this episode. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. I've never seen it on any other artifacts page. It's just this one. But on this one, it's here. Uh... So I'm reading this Los Angeles Times article about this guy, about uh, Frank. And uh, Freud thought Frank was a brilliant guy. He thought he was going to make him his American heir and so on. You know, the next guy. Yeah, the guy to follow his shoes. Uh, Freud tried to get this guy, his disciple, Frank, to leave his wife, marry marry, uh, one of his wealthy patients, one of Freud's patients, patience and oh don't worry it'll be great it'll succeed um it was not it proved brief and painful and uh frank felt really bad about it when his first wife died short shoot soon after so you know what the fuck yep certainly what the fuck if Uh, i were segment for it i would simply not uh Urge my pupil to leave to divorce his wife and marry a different wealthier woman. Yeah, it seems like maybe uh, anything other than that. Like, just. Uh, I know you're a big science guy, but just do normal shit. Oh, don't, uh, don't tell people to do that. Yeah, like, I don't know that much about um, psychiatry, but I think it's against the rules to, like, 
ship your patients and try to get them to marry each other? Uh, at the very least, it's against best practices. Yeah, like, because I'm pretty sure it's against the rules to even say, like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is one of my patients. Let alone say, hey, this lady's great and she's loaded. You you should divorce your wife and marry her. That seems... Hmm. Yeah, not great. What the fuck, Sigmund? So, coming back around to it, uh... Pete insists that it's going to be him that goes with uh, his mom to into her memories. There's some risk involved, and if another person goes, you're a little bit better off. Yeah, makes sense. You're a little less less likely to get lost in the sauce. Yeah, the fear is that you'll prefer the memory and just stay there. Mm -hmm. That's apparently a thing that happens with that artifact. Well, you know, makes sense. And in fact, we see that in this episode. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Uh, so they, they go ahead and get their baby shoes on, uh, travel on back to, I guess this works sort of like, it, it seems to be sort of dream logic where they sort of jump throughout time based on where, uh, Jane thinks her memories are. Yeah, because like she... She says the thing out loud, A to Z technologies, and then touches the shoe, and then they are sent back to, like, when Pete was eight, or whatever. Right, and it's not anything remotely, uh, related to A to Z technologies. At least. At least for a while. Yeah, at least not right away. Yeah, it, it's all of the lead-up to that that you need. Yeah, cause, yeah, because this is, um, in the words of the Johnny Cash coyote from The Simpsons, Yo, I'm just a flashback. I can't give you any new information. Right. Pete discovers that, you know, he's back in time. He sees his old bike and he wants to go see his dad. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jane pretty quickly realizes that this is the day of the funeral. Mm. So Pete rushes on into his house to discover all of his family there uh, in mourning. Yep including Mrs. Frederick, who is consoling... And... And his sister. Yeah, I was... She's here! Yep, Pete's sister is here, and she's deaf. I... We finally meet Pete's sister. Once again, Warehouse 13 writers, I am very sorry for implying that Pete's sister wouldn't show up again. You got this one right. Good job. Yep. And, for the first time ever, sign language is actually depicted on screen. Yep. That thing that we were saying, it would make a lot more sense if Pete knew how to do versus reading lips. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and also to their credit, Pete being able to read lips hasn't come up since. I mean, I don't know if that's to their credit or to their detriment. They just wrote <laughs> that he could read lips just out of the blue because it was convenient. Yeah, but... You know, they kept the interesting world-building part of it, you know, Pete's sister, but they, you know, they walked back, like, giving him this, you know, giving this him this ability. It's, it's nice. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I'm willing to let things slide that they introduced in the pilots, especially. Yeah, it was pretty early on. When you, uh, when you write and produce a pilot, you have no idea if you're getting a real show or not. Yep. 
So it's it's fair to say they let a lot of it be shaped by how it went. Yeah. And you know, Pete In fact, Pete was never written to be the character he was. That was that was changed based on Eddie's read of the script. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not like Pete has been in many situations where reading lips would help. Right. Because it's, if he had been somewhere like, I don't know, where it would have helped, it would have been they, annoying they if he'd do, forgotten. Right. They do have that durational spectrometer, which, you know, yeah. shows what happened, but doesn't... Uh, yeah, no, no sound. Doesn't have sound, which I believe is the first time he reads lips, isn't it? No, it's um, it's in the pilot. Or, or like he's... The pilot are one of the first couple episodes before we even learn about the durational spectrometer where, like, he... It's like they're in the flipped car, right? Where the evil lady knocked him over or something? Okay. I forget, but it's... Like, they're def- there's definitely, like, a car crash that just happened. Okay. Yeah. It... Oh, so it's later. Uh, in a later episode, they have to bust out the durational spectrometer, and, like, he can't read their lips because their back is to them. But, like, that's not how the durational spectrometer works. You can walk around to the other side of them. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, ma- it makes 3D things. Come on. Right, you can just walk to the other side. Ah, <laughs> uh, mysterious. But it, okay, yeah. Uh, but I do mention it again, that's neat. Good for them. Right, yeah, impressive. They remembered he could read lips. Yeah, I mean, they, they remembered his sisters, so, you know, those are kind of part and parcel. Right. Yeah, uh, so at this point, we pretty much go back to, well... We're discovering Mrs. Frederick was there trying to convince Jane to return to the warehouse. Yep. And we also see a young Pete who is, uh, you know, not having a great time of it, as you might imagine. Yeah, he's uh, he's a little down for some reason. Yeah, you know, everyone's being all nice to him because, you know, dead dead. Yeah, Ralph Brunsky just sort of rocks up, uh, says Latimer, and then drops a toy car in his lap. And runs off. And help, and Ralph Brunsky's showing up. Like, I I yep. know Pete's mentioned him before. Yep, that was Ralph Brunsky. Even Ralph Brunsky was nice to him on that day. Which, you know, makes sense. Yeah, uh... Yeah, you probably shouldn't go super far out of your way to be nice to someone you're never nice to just because it's a, a funeral for their dad. Uh, like, but yeah, it's nice that you did. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm always weird about that because like, to some extent you want people to just treat you like you're normal. Yeah, like, yeah, like I, I wouldn't like trust my, you know, if you're, you know, my, like it's better than not being bullied. But also, don't be a piece of shit. It's not yeah. that hard. Yeah, you can be nice to someone any day, not right after their dad dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be a special occasion for you to not be weird. Well, not yeah. 
being weird is like a, a weird word for it, but you know. It's, it's free and easy to not bully someone, come on. Right. Lots of Pete being down, and then we just sort of, uh, we go back to our... Do we call it the A-plot or the B-plot? I think Pete, I think Pete's, you know, I think this time travel thing is the A-plot. It's certainly like the thing that means the most to the overarching story. Oh yeah, that's for sure. I, uh, I do want to say that I googled Ralph whatever's name, Ralph Brunsky, and it didn't get much. I just got results for actual people named Ralph Brunsky. But I did find, I googled where, Ralph Brunsky Warehouse 13, and I got, uh, I got two different uh, fanfics on fanfiction.net. Both, Ooh. both, uh, <laughs> both Warehouse 13 AUs. Okay. Uh, and both, both with uh, someone mentioning Ralph Brunsky offhand in the middle of what is otherwise a uh, Micah X Elena ship fic. Sweet. Feels kind of weird that Ralph Brunsky, I believe this is going to be his only on-screen appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't have a page on the Warehouse 13 fandom yeah, wiki. Yeah, given how often Pete mentions him. Right. You should at least have Ralph Brunsky facts. Yeah. G- give me the Brunsky facts. Give me the hot, right. give me the Brunsky tips. Also, I'm going to close these fan fictions, but I do want to say that one of them, Love Spoilers, is written by someone whose screen name is Amtrak12. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, train appreciator. Respect. Right. Uh, maybe open their, uh, their profile in a new tab, see what sort of uh, other stories they have. Uh, author has written Maybe 40 stories cool for train stories. Author has written 40 stories for Big Bang Theory, Doctor Who, How I Met Your Mother, Leverage Community, and Warehouse 13. They really need some more train stories. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's some trains in there. It, it doesn't seem like any of those jump out to me as a good train fanfic. Yeah. Like, I'm scrolling down their, their fix, and none of them mention trains. Well, other I than, have... well, other than like, the, the Big Bang Theory has some train situation going on. Sheldon loves trains. Okay. I have heard that there is a Well, There's Your Problem uh, fanfic, which is terrifying and <laughs> probably involves trains. Don't write real person fic, it's creepy. Come on. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Don't do that. The only valid real person fic is when people write fanfiction about dead presidents kissing. That's fine. Yeah, I can get down with that. Uh, okay, I'm going to stop looking at Amtrak 12's profile. Um, <laughs> so, let's they, they, go ahead and move on back to the B-plot. I, I will say, before I close this... Well, their favorite ship is, in fact, Micah slash H.G. Wells. Uh, they also ship Pete from Warehouse 13 with Grace Van Pelt from The Mentalist. I, I will say that uh, in the... I don't know, it feels kind of weird to say it secondhand. Uh, in the Bering and Wells panel that happened at Plexicon, apparently a lot of uh, Micah X Helena stuff was like 
at least semi-intentional while filming. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it it seems... Well, it's never something I would call canon, it seems to be pretty strongly pushed. Yeah, you know, Helena is, you know, canonically bi, and God, look at the way she is always talking to and being around Micah. Look at the way Micah, right. like, has feelings for her, clearly. Ah. Yeah, there's certainly something there. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, it it is probably the one Warehouse 13 ship that is, like... I mean, other than Claudia x Todd. Yeah, Todia, as it is called. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is probably the second most explicit relationship that there is in the show. Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of, Todd does get mentioned in this episode, a little later on, but, uh... Oh, yeah! This is an episode... This is an episode all about remembering things. We love to remember things here. <laughs> yeah. I love remembering things. I love not unremembering things. I, I love when things are referenced that I remember. Yeah. It, it's, my, it's my main reason for watching sci-fi series. Yeah. I know that they will remind me of things. <laughs> I love it when Pete says Star Wars, and then I remember Star Wars. Uh... Uh, anyways, uh... So, back in Portland B-plot land... Yeah, we get, um... We get Claudia... Not... We get... Yeah, it's Claudia and Micah, yeah? Are... Yep. Are questioning some guy about what happened, and he's like... Well, you know, he was really into this... I remember he mentioned, oh yeah, they were really into David Lynch and Eraserhead. And he yeah, never misses his Lynch. roommate, which was described as some coder guy or something. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they're apparently both big eraser heads. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he... Which is what they call David Lynch fans, I assume. <laughs> uh, he never misses David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently things with his uh, girlfriend, who we later find out is Megan Reese. Yep. We're getting pretty serious. Yeah, because uh, he was about to show her a racer head. Yeah, and uh, yeah, fellas, do not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, I've never seen a racer head. I can't speak to that. Uh, I've, I've seen a racer heads like in a tape deck. Okay, which you know I would appreciate. <laughs> I I like tape decks. I have one. Oh yeah. Uh, if you're in my apartment, and you show me my own tape deck. I'm not going to be impressed though. Uh, he yes, and uh, this Mr. Roommate, Mr. Roommatesman d- refers to Morgan as she's got these sexy, spooky Lolita eyes and hair like golden tresses or whatever. Yeah, apparently, uh, this guy who is now dead, uh, who was very, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but he was certainly infatuated with her. Yeah, you know, he's. Found himself a girlfriend. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's right at that moment where, uh, you know, everything's new and special. So they go to Megan's apartment, Mm -hmm. where her landlady apparently said that she had seen the boyfriend out there uh, caterwauling. Mm -hmm. Which, uh... 
Micah was impressed with Claudia's use of that word. <laughs> and she's like, not my word, but uh, I think I'm going to keep it. Yeah, I like the way it sounds. Catrawalding. Is that a thing people in Portland say? Uh, <laughs> Do you know? Like, I've known a num I know a number of Oregonders and have been to Oregon myself. I wouldn't say they use the word caterwauling more than average. Okay. <laughs> is, is that, like, a non-zero number of times to use the word caterwauling? No, it's a good word. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's weird, because it sounds a lot more, like rural yeah i can see that you know it's a fine word i'm not yeah this is a pro caterwauling podcast right we love caterwauling here at warehouse yeah. 69 if you caterwaul and you'd like to be on the show email us at whereas92.io <laughs> uh we'd love to read your letter or have you on the air uh i noted here that the landlady is an asshole yep which I mean, you could probably have uh, guessed that, but yeah, she's definitely, uh, she's definitely not someone I'd want to rent from. Yeah, no, she seems like a, she seems pretty fucking rude, right down to like, this is my door and you will open it, which is like, that's something you say if you're an angry parent, not something you say if yeah. you're a landlady. Right. Yeah, it's, it's actually not your door. You let someone have this apartment, that means they have it. Sorry. Yeah, like, there are rules about this shit. You can't, like... Like, there are laws about this. Like, your landlord can't just let themselves into your apartment whatever they want. They have to give you notice. Yeah. Uh, but Megan is convinced that her getting angry at people just kills them. Yep. So she's just trying to stay away from everyone, and the more people pound on her door, the more afraid she is that she's going to end up with another flash of light and no more, uh, no more whoever's bothering her. Yeah, she thinks she's in a Twilight Zone episode. Yep. Which, you know, reasonable thing to think. Yeah, I mean, based on all of the facts, it seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. But eventually they just decide to knock the door down and come in anyway. Mm -hmm. Not the landlady, they tell her to go away before they do yeah. it. Which is a good thing, because if Megan were actually uh, exploding things with her brain, uh, I certainly wouldn't blame her for exploding a landlady. Yeah. Good news uh, about what happens slightly later in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think for now we... Or at least at some point during this, we cut back to the A plot where, um, basically we find out that, um, Mrs. Frederick wants Jane back for, because she has a special touch with this sort of thing. Because, uh, it's a child. A child has an artifact. And, and Jane is the kid knower. She knows at least one kid. Yeah, she's the child understander. And, uh, at some point during all of this, Pete, there's a couple good, like, memory shticks here where Pete is like, you know, Mrs. Frederick, why are you here? I thought this was a two-person ride, and then, like, she just kind of walks through him because, you know, memory nonsense. Yeah. Right, she, and... Yeah, she's in the memory. She's being remembered. It's also the recurring bit where, uh, 
Mrs. Frederick is ageless. Like, yeah. She doesn't age. Yeah. So Pete sees her and assumes she just entered the memory, mm -hmm. where truthfully, she is just there. Yep. She's being remembered. And, uh, and when Mrs. Frederick says, you know, oh, you're my, you're the, yeah, we need you, you're special, you, you have the touch, and Pete's like, oh, you're not just a regent, you're the best regent, I would have gotten you a mug saying, world's greatest regent. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> And then Tiny Pete drops a mug, and she says, you would have just broken it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Still have notes from the other plot line. Yeah. Maybe I didn't put anything down. Uh, oh no, here's Jane Good with kids. Mm -hmm. Uh okay, yeah. I don't have much about this. Yeah, Jane's good with kids. Um my next note is fuck you, landlord. So I think uh I think the landlady gets fucking exploded. Yeah, that's my next note too. <laughs> so uh where does that happen? It happens right outside the apartment. Because she comes up yelling at her. Yeah, like, there's a bunch of, yeah, because there's a bunch of, uh, Micah and Claudia going around her apartment, you know, bagging the yearbook she's been looking at, or, you know, just random shit around her apartment, and none of it works. And, uh, yeah, they're trying to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> at this point, they're pretty certain that it's possible she's exploding things with her brain, so, uh... They're trying very hard not to upset her while they do. Yeah. You know, she's probably not. That would fly in the face of everything we know. But, like, do you want to take the chance? I wouldn't. Right. Uh, and then I think we pretty quickly go back to our A-plot where uh, Pete is blasting milk out of his nose. Yep. <sighs> Basically, uh, in the memory... There is a boy who is, uh, he's Mr. Baseball Boy. I forget his name. I, unfortunately, I think his name is important. Oh, no. Whatever. It is yeah. pretty important. Yeah. His name is Walter Sykes. There we go. That's the magic word. Basically, uh, Jane is talking to this baseball boy. Uh, he's like, well, coach says I could make pro, but coach has a lot of things, you know. And, yeah, there's a, it's a very, like, weirdly business-like conversation with a child. Yeah, she wanders up, and the only note I wrote about this scene was Stranger Danger. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the kid knows this. Like, she's asking all these questions about, like, you know, school and stuff, and the kid is like, you know, do I know you? Do you live around here? Like, what's up? Like, the kid is doing everything correct. He's like, you know, right. <laughs> who the hell are you, random adult I don't know? What are you trying to do here? Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange behavior. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I, we linger on his bracelet, which we later learn is Carlo Collodi's bracelet, who wrote Pinocchio. The bracelet yep, is- he apparently- okay. He wove this bracelet up out of some sort of creepy ma marionette he had. Yep, and, uh, since, but, which as, gives him the ability to walk, but plants a seed of darkness inside you because Carlo Collodi was a- Apparently a biting satirist, who in the original version of the story, Pinocchio just, like, you know, clobbers Geppetto. Yeah, we'll probably come back around yeah. on this, but, like, it, 
It strikes me as weird that a satirist would uh, imbue an evil sort of power into an artifact. Yeah, it's... Yeah, like... Like, it needs to be there narratively. But, like, I don't think satirists do that because their hearts are filled with evil. Yeah, like, it's, you know, <laughs> is Gallagher evil? Like... Yeah, it it doesn't follow for me. Yeah, like, I'm I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now to see if he was, like, actually a bad guy, but, like... Da-da-da. Like, he was a political satirist, and so on, but... Right, but that's just... That's what you do if you're upset at the status quo. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's a position of evil, Yeah, exactly. Like, nothing about his Wikipedia page suggests that he's evil. Like, he's, you know... Yeah, like, he's... Like, Pinocchio is, like, rascally. He's not, like, right. e- he's not evil. He's not fiendish. I mean, it it seems like they just sort of had Artie suggest that, like, the original manuscripts were much more fiendish. Mm-hmm. But, like, he does it by saying that uh, Jiminy Cricket gets smashed with a hammer every time he uh, says something Pinocchio doesn't like or whatever. Yeah. But, like, what, well, clearly that means his cartoon... Uh, it's cartoon physics, because if he smashed Jiminy Cricket once, uh, that would be it. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah, also, Jiminy Cricket was invented for the Disney film. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, there was a talking cricket, so... That, okay. Uh, complaint retracted. They just personified him more. Yeah, he is... The talking cricket is a cricket whom Pinocchio kills after tries to give him some advice. The cricket comes back as a ghost to continue advising the puppets. Oh, okay. I mean, that is certainly darker. Yeah, like, it's certainly dark. Like, bad shit happens, but, like, it's still, like... It's a dark comedy sort of situation at best, you know? Right. I don't think that the people who write dark comedies uh, do it because their hearts are filled with evil. Yeah, like, they don't... Yeah, they don't do it because they're criminal masterminds? Which is like what yeah, I guess it, this this bracelet turns you into. I mean, yeah, it actually like turns you into some sort of unfeeling monster, basically. Oh, it says makes your heart out of wood. I that would be a better explanation. Yeah, that would make more sense. Which like it. Ah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know about this one. It. I get why the artifact exists as it does. Yeah. It's it's a very good way to make the warehouse out. They're the good guys, but they outwardly look like the bad guys. Yeah, because, uh, you know, she does, like, take the kid's bracelet and, uh, well, now he can't walk anymore. The bracelet was giving him the ability I mean, to walk. Yeah, she just sort of walks away, having confirmed that it's there. It's actually Artie that eventually uh, snags it. Yeah, she walks, yeah. And we do see Artie and McPherson uh, working together, uh, you know, in the before times to snag back and tag it. Yep. Uh, And Pete, uh, Artie, when it comes up later in the episode, Artie says, I I snagged that 30 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. 
And Pete's like, I know, you were so cute back then. <laughs> uh. <sighs> and, uh. Yeah. And then uh, we cut back to uh, the B plot where, uh. Megan, was it? Yeah. Has run away to a graveyard. And Claudia and Micah find her because, well, where would you, where else would you go if you you know wanted to be somewhere you you wouldn't hurt anyone? Yeah, Claudia knows where uh, teens that are having uh, angsty emotional moments get like to go. Like you know, if I and especially when they don't want to be near anyone. Yeah, like if yeah, like I get it. If I was worried about exploding people with my brain, I would also go to a semi, go to a fucking graveyard. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not like people make a habit of walking up to you and yelling at you in a graveyard. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're worried about, you know, people coming at, coming up to you and shouting at you since that's what's exploded the last several people, mm -hmm. uh, graveyard's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm still looking at the Wikipedia page for Pinocchio and... It is the most translated non-religious books in the world. One of the best-selling books ever published. Second only to the Bible. Okay. And, like, that depends on how you do the numbers. Are different translations of the Bible the same book? Yeah. But, like, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's, you know, which is news to me, but congrats, I guess, Puppet Boy. Yeah. As Yeah, good work. Too bad about you, uh making such a nasty bracelet yeah though. It, the wikipedia page also describes it as a universal icon and a metaphor of the human condition the book is considered a canonical piece of children's literature i mean yeah i think it's kind of difficult to explain why something that that universal is good mm -hmm. i mean it it's pretty straightforward that pinocchio has a sensible moral or whatever yeah, like, but like it's, it's a if that's your if that's your bar for entry, so is like most children's stories. Yeah, like aren't aren't most stories about the the human condition in some way or another? Yeah. Uh, I mean, most good ones. Yeah. It's very difficult to write good works that don't address the human condition. Yeah, like since that's usually your intended audience. Yeah, d does your does your book include uh birth, growth, emotion, aspiration, conflict and or mortality? Do, <laughs> does your story have things that happen in it? Does it have people that feel and do things? Uh, uh Me, I write furry smut for a living. There's no human condition in there. There's a lot of skunk conditions. Right, a variety of conditions that a, a skunk can be yeah. in. Such as soft and um, anthropomorphic and... Um, yes, there's some real novel ones. Yeah. Tail, that's a good one. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, they're talking to Morgan and uh, long story short... Uh, well, Claudia, like, empathizes with her, like, hey, um, I also have bad luck with keeping people around. We're, bo we're both cursed. You know, what with my, yeah. my, fr my very good, beloved friend Steve Jinx leaving, and also my boyfriend being a witness protection, and also my brother being in a, a dimension hole for 12 years. Yeah, 
She's trying to be relatable, and Megan is busy doing the, oh, I'm the most unlucky person in the world yeah. bit. Which, in fairness, if you think that your brain is exploding uh, people you care about constantly, yeah, you might actually be. Yeah, she does, like, eventually, like, accept the olive branch, and, you right. know, Clyde is like, oh, we could start a club, we could call it the... There's a couple, like, good jokey names, but I didn't write them down. Yeah, I I can't bring her back off the top of my head. Yeah, the, the club six foot pole or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, Micah uh, flips up her cool, cool flipper shades one more time to notice some glitter on the roof. Oh yeah, and uh, someone in the in the graveyard got zapped didn't they? Maybe? I didn't write that down, but it would make sense. Oh no, if she's noticing glitter on the roof, it must have been back at her apartment, isn't it? Yeah. Where the landlady got zapped. Yeah, no, that would make sense. And the other guy. Yeah, that would make sense. Get uh, so, yeah, I guess they go back and they're doing some investigative yeah. work. Yeah, or like, Claudia is, you know, Claudia is talking while Micah is back at the place doing, you know, investigation stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she ended up checking the roof because they had a... She noticed that, like, basically the exploding people cast a shadow in one direction. And it's not, like, away from uh, Megan, and it's not, like, sun-related. Mm-hmm. Is, so, is it related to any boy bands? I I don't believe so, but uh, I'm sure that, you know, there are stands out there that will tell me exactly <laughs> how it is. I don't know that much about One Direction fans, but, you know, I'm willing to believe they can explode people with their minds. I've right. never met one in person. Yeah, but uh, if you are a One Direction stand, please don't explode me with your mind. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that your band broke up or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, whatever's going on with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, if you're thinking... I mean, really, it's, uh, you know, they've just gone five directions, which is five times more directions than you had in the first place. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a win, 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 win. Yeah, really makes you think. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, Micah <laughs> finds the glitter, uh... In the flashback, we see Artie and McPherson having bagged and tagged the bracelets. We see uh, Mr. Sykes back in the wheelchair. And uh, I think, I guess we're earlier in the day because we see um, we see Pete watching him and his dad, young Pete and Pete's dad having a conversation about, you know, I'm a firefighter, I have to go, and little Pete's like, I don't want you to be a firefighter. Like, what if you fucking die? Yeah, that's why I said it sort of seems like it follows a sort of dream logic to yeah. what is shown. Because they got talking about what caused Jane to actually... Uh, to actually do this, and so they flash back a little further back to when 
uh, Pete's dad is alive and Pete's just being, he's being an an inquisitive child, but asking like the worst possible questions you could ask a firefighter. Like, ever seen a dead body? (laughs) Ever had one of your friends die? Uh, (laughs) uh... But this apparently convinced Jane that she needed to uh, do warehouse things. Mm -hmm. Because his dad was explaining how uh, how important it is that he does what he does to help other people. Mm-hmm. So this is why Jane does her thing. And suddenly uh, Pete understands his mom a little better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and there was a, a scene where Pete, like, wants to stay here, like, with his dad. And, uh, right. mom has to pull him and- out of it. Yeah, Jane takes his uh takes his hand and then we get this uh stained glass shattering transition back to reality. Hell yeah. And uh basically we find out that uh Walter Sykes named he was a fan of the baseball team the Aztecs and so named his company A to Z Technologies after that. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, he was wearing a cap that said Aztecs on it. Which seems like a pretty flimsy thing, but what are you going to do? I mean, you want to talk about flimsy. Uh, In the trivia section for this episode on the fandom wiki, it says, As well as the time travel element, blah blah blah, there is a sense of the series coming full circle with the Aztecs baseball cap. Since the first artifact scene... Snagged and bagged in the pilot was the Aztec bloodstone. (laughs) (laughs) This is a stretch. Uh, Especially since, like, why would it come full circle in the middle of season three? Right. (laughs) Also, he was a fan of a, a San Diego college baseball team. As a kid, I'm sure there's been a. I'm not sure if he was a fan or a member. Like, was that his team? Well, so because he was playing baseball, but like, Walter was like a a child. Yeah, and like, this was the Aztecs are San Diego State, you know, University, and also which is like Pete's not from San Diego, right? So this kid has a cap from a college, wants to play for a college baseball team on the other side of the country. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot that I know where this is. There's no, there's no local sports team called the Aztecs near me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like I Googled, yeah, I Googled Aztecs baseball team. I'm getting San Diego State. So, yeah, because this is definitely canonically in North Canton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the trivia section once again, in the pilot, Pete says his father died when he was 12. Uh, Pete was born November 5th, 1981, according to a badge that flashed on screen at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funeral took place in his hometown of North Canton, Ohio. Snow was not seen and the trees were green, indicating that this flashback took place in spring or summer of 1994. Ah. <laughs> uh, sure. 
super sleuths. Uh, you know, sometimes it is the winter and there's no snow. But, you know, people are dressed, people are not dressed like it's winter, I'll give them that. But I also don't know what the weather is like in North Canton, Ohio. I mean, it's pretty normal. Uh, the trees uh, being green is probably a more convincing thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, it, there's not always snow on the ground in November or even December. But there would still be leaves on the trees. Like, uh, the leaves, uh, for every tree that does lose its leaves, they do go. Yeah. Like, yeah, it it either happens or it doesn't, and that's based on what type of tree it is. Mm -hmm. There, There's no getting around fall when the leaves all change. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if it was just the lack of snow, I'd be like, no, there's... We get, like, 50-degree days in the middle of winter sometimes. Sometimes we don't get enough snow to have accumulation on warm days. Mm -hmm. Like, it... It's not like we're Arctic Circle or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I believe at this point we gotta go back to our B plot. B plot. Yep. Uh, where we find out that um, yeah, we look in the yearbook and such, and we find out that uh, the guy doing it all along was Megan's weird stalker who was using some Hiroshima pilots nuclear binoculars to fucking kill people. Yeah, uh, Jeff's a big-time creepo. Like, Fucking Jeff. He followed her, like, across the country to continue being a big-time creepo. Yeah. Because much is made about the fact that, like, well, this happened in Indiana and also here, so it must be me. Right, but but she's just being followed by a guy who's destroying anyone who makes her unhappy i guess like he's 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 being a stalker it's not necessarily a rational thing to do right yeah it's clear that he's got to have a certain level of disconnection from the reality of what he's doing mm -hmm. because he's just sort of like killing people over them getting in an argument with someone he has uh an obsession about Uh so they they rope this girl Megan into helping them catch the guy. It seems irresponsible to me. Yeah, like using her as bait. Yeah, yeah. like they know who it is. Find him. Wait till you get the opportunity and Tesla. Him. Yeah, like you don't, you never seem to use anyone else's bait other than like one of your own agents. Right. I mean, even using her as bait, they just sort of send her into this warehouse where he ends up pulling her in and closing the door because the jig is yeah. up. And like, Micah should know better. Yep. Like, why would you put her in there? It's. <sighs> Like, she dealt with a death of her partner because of timing things. She, in the pilot, she was portrayed as being excellent at this sort of logistical controlling a situation sort of yeah. thing. 
here she's just like, oh yeah, walk up to this door. We're going to stay out of sight. Uh, you make contact with the uh, killer guy and we'll back you up. Like, she could have a better plan. Up yeah, like, what the hell, Micah? Yeah, like, if if they sent her around to the front while they were breaking in through the back, I, I could get that. Mm -hmm. But, like, realistically, you should know this guy's pretty dangerous. Yeah, like, you know that you know what this man can do. You know he can explode people with his magic binoculars. Right. Even if you don't know about the binoculars yet, because I think they only get those after they catch him. But, like, you know what this guy is capable of. Like, maybe you shouldn't send this lady in there alone. Yeah, and, uh... He, she runs off from him and he's chasing her around. At this point, he would like to kill her because she tried to trick him or something. After all I did for you and you still don't want to be with me, right. after all the creepy stalker shit I did for you without your knowledge or consent. Right. Yeah, and so Claudia's trying to help her get away, but unfortunately, apparently... This they all work for the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory because all of the exits are locked. I guess so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're trapped in, and he's about to uh, blast Megan off the face of the yep. earth before Claudia jumps in the way, which is not what you should do. Yeah. She just jumps straight into the way of the blast. Yep, and then... But, and shines uh, a laser barcode inventory scanner thing into the binoculars, blinding him. Yep. It, I mean, quick thinking, I don't know that a laser through binoculars would have the necessary power to do that, to do enough damage for it to matter. Yeah, because, like, those bar the thing about those barcode scanners is, like, if you have a laser that can, like, hurt people, like, even, like, a, a laser pointer has a, you know, has a little sticker on it saying, don't point this at your eyes. I've never seen one of those on a barcode scanner. Like, because I, I don't even think it's a laser. I think it's just, like, a red light. So, maybe that may it is a laser. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's not, depending, uh, more modern barcode scanners, it's not actually yeah, it's a an laser. LED or something. Yeah, but that's just because they're a camera. Mm -hmm. Like, it it only uses the uh, light to make it easier for you to use and easier for the camera to mm -hmm. expose. But, like, older barcode scanners had a laser and a color eye that was, like, mounted to the laser, and it physically sweeps across. That makes sense. It's not, like, a projection of a spread-out laser, like... You can do that optically. You can make a laser and do a line. No, it's mechanically just moving mm -hmm. the laser real fast. But that's why old barcode scanners are very easy to break. That makes sense. The moving parts in there. Yeah. Uh, but either way, like, it, you would think binoculars make the laser more dangerous. But a laser is already as collated as it can be. Yeah, like, you can't focus it more. Yeah, like, theoretically you can, but that wouldn't cause any more eye damage. I mean, like, you know, I guess all you really need to do is, like, distract him, you know, make his eyes start hurting. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I just don't think... I don't think you would stop for a laser. Like, you could just look at yeah. it. Yeah. Like, it's not good for your eyes, but this isn't going to, like, cause you to recoil in pain. Yeah. And, like, she had her Tesla the whole time. Yeah, just fucking shoot him. Come on. Yeah, Tesla the guy. Both you and Micah have Teslas on you. Do it. Please. You can do it without blinding this guy and without jumping in front of the, the murder blast. Uh, but anyways, they get the guy, they get the binoculars that, uh, as they say, are from the pilot who dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima, and when he looked back through them, um, it got infused with... The way they say it implies it was the pilot's anxiety, not, like, the people who were fucking dying. Right. I... Yeah, it, it's a little hard to say, oh yeah, it's imbued with the uh, the death of everyone at Hiroshima or whatever, but like, I, I don't know, at least in that case, there's a very good reason why it's all artifact -y. Yeah, instead of, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the guy who did it felt, feel shitty about it, maybe, I don't know, like, but... Yeah, I mean, you signed up to be a bomber pilot, so you're probably pretty okay with dropping bombs on things, but this is definitely on a whole different yeah, scale. Yeah, like, yeah, like, you know what you're doing. Like, you're, you, you have this terrible weapon, this, like, this horrible, terrible thing that is going to wreak destruction like the world has never known, and you're going to drop it on a bunch of civilians? And before you did, you went out of your way to uh, paint your mom's name on the side of your plane. Uh, normal. <sighs> yeah. But, also, how many pilots do you think are flying a plane through a war zone and just, like, looking over their shoulder using binoculars? Yeah, like, also... Like, A, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> you need a navigator for that yeah, shit. Yeah, like, it's not like it's just one guy. Like, bombers have, like, a right, bunch of these people. are not small planes. Yeah, like, bomb there's a number of people in there. I don't know that much about dropping nuclear bombs on people, but I would think you're not supposed to look at them. Maybe, well, I guess someone's got to, to like, make sure it worked, but, like... Mmm. It's weird. Yeah, I also have to wonder, like... Was it time delayed? Like, how far away was he when he got to look back? Yeah. Because I'd imagine with a bomb that size, no matter how high you, you're flying your bomber, you you don't want it going off while you're still reasonably in the air. Yeah. Although, I don't know. It probably takes a while to reach the ground from maximum operating altitude yeah because i'm i which is where you want to be if you don't want to get shot down because yeah, it's yeah they use the same trigger mechanism as a regular bomb because um you know a nuclear bomb is you know two subcritical halves and a conventional explosive that pushes them together at least you know a primitive one is i'm sure there's better more terrible designs out there these days right but this was the first yeah one. and so 
the first one used in yeah. war. And so, you know, you'd think it'd be... I'm sure this is all, like, well-studied. It doesn't make any sense to, like, guess at it. Right. Presumably, you can detonate it in a variety of different yeah. ways. Uh, I'm assuming they did something with a safety pin, so until it leaves the plane, it can't go off. Yeah, like the... And it's either timed or, you know, a an impact fuse. Yeah, because it's, like, yeah, like a bomber, there's a lot of people in the, you would think, right? Like, it's not like it's one guy, it's, no, you know, if you've ever seen a bomber at an Air and Space Museum, there's, like, you know, there's a seat for a guy with a gun to sit in, because, you know, if they have an Air Force, they're, go they're going to shoot at the guy with the big bombs. It was a Boeing B-29 Super Fortress. So, yeah, if that name suggests anything to you, uh, the Super Fortress has a crew size of several. I don't know. Yeah, like the... Oh, yeah, pressurized cabin, uh, analog computer-controlled fire control system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was... I'm not seeing the number of people, but I already see three different roles. So, presumably at least three. Yeah, like... Ooh, the Soviets made an unlicensed reverse-engineered copy huh. of it. The TU-4. Yeah, the TU-4. Like, like, according to Wikipedia, there are, like, three gunner seats. Oh, yeah, so you've got pilot, three gunners, probably bombardiers, all, all kinds of people. Yeah, you know. You probably got nearly a 20-man crew in yeah, there. Yeah, you need, like, a lot of people to operate a plane like this. Oh, uh, the... The Tupolev Tu-4 has an 11-man mm -hmm. crew. So, presumably, the plane it's a clone of also mm -hmm. does. Yeah, 11. Pilot, co-pilot, bombardier, flight engineer, navigator, radio operator, radar observer, right gunner, left gunner, center fire control, tail gunner. Right, there you go. Big plane. For you. Uh, 2200 horsepower times four engines. Mm -hmm. uh, max takeoff weight, 133,000 pounds. That's a lot. Well, there you go. We learned a lot today about the terrible things this country has done during wars. But yeah, the, and airplanes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's, that's two episodes in a row that are about shitty things that happened in and around into Japan. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Is this... A, yeah. It, isn't that waterboarding metal? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't know that there's that much more justification to be done for this either, but, like, yeah, it, it's at least a well, a well-known piece of history. Yeah. I don't think we need to explain it to any of our listeners. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's probably best that we don't, like, get started on World, on World War Two. Right. Because the end is in sight, because we, uh, yeah, already, uh, 
we have this conversation with already about the the bracelets, and uh, we learn. Yeah, Carla Carla Carlotti was apparently a real piece of shit, I guess. And um, I think that's about it. Until except for at the end, we see Walter Sykes in the modern day, played by the one, the only Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, and he's just sort of chilling in his uh in his office. Yeah, there's there's a dead body in the office with mm-hmm. him. Which is just like okay, I guess. Yeah, there's just a corpse there in his office at A to Z Technologies. Like which is apparently yeah, Apparently this... it's a dude named Locke Archer, a regent we have never met before. Oh no, not that guy. Yeah, I, I'm a little confused because I thought it was supposed to be that all of the regents that were left were in that one building. Mm-hmm. Like, at first he said used to be a regent, and I'm like, oh, so he found some guy who used to be and quit and then tortured and killed him. Or, like, or is it a guy that used to be a regent because, you know, he stopped being a regent when he died. Right. Like, I, I think that's what he meant. But at first I was like, oh, okay, this is trying to establish something about him being a real piece of shit who doesn't care about the methods he mm-hmm. uses. Where he's just like, okay, yeah, this guy used to know things about the warehouse. Might as well nab him and get whatever we can out of him. Mm-hmm. But it seems he's a current agent. Huh. Or a current regent. Well. I'm not sure how many regents there are supposed to be. Yeah, it seems like there was, there used to be, like, a lot, and then a lot of them have fucking died. Yeah. Let's see. I would think the Warehouse 13 wiki would have something. Okay. Uh, the named regents. Then, uh... Regent 2, Regent 4, Regent 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and other unnamed regents. <laughs> okay. So yeah, apparently there's a bunch of them. Yeah, even though there were like six of them at the meeting that one time. Okay, so Locke Archer was at Artie's meeting in the diner. All right. So we have met him. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised by this. Uh, Lock Ar- Lock Archer does not even get a wiki page, though. No, he has one. Does his name isn't clickable? Uh, apparently not on that page, but uh. Oh yeah, because yeah, the page it... is called Regent Archer. Yep. For some reason. Oh yeah, there he is. All right. I gotta be careful. Oh, he appeared in Trials? What What happened in Trials? That was, um... That was the guy who... For- that was one- the one with the guy who forgot stuff? And Typhoid Mary's Butcher uh, Typhoid... Yeah. Where was our regent? Huh. Oh, um... Already tells... Because that was the episode where a regent died. A regent okay. died, so Ari had to go to the funeral, and I guess he would have been there? Okay, yeah. Amongst the other funeral goers. Because, mm-hmm. uh... Or is he one of the regents that Micah is talking to about 
because that's the one where it's got the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. And she's making a case for her reinstatement. That would make sense, because Theodora Stanton, who we do meet more than once, is, is there. Yeah, apparently there are three regents, but the synopsis doesn't say who they are. Also, like, uh, Lock Archer is just the actor's name. The character doesn't have a name. He's just regent number two. Oh, okay. Huh. I thought they used his name, but I guess maybe not. Like, maybe they do, but, like, the actor's name is also Lock Archer. I mean, that sounds about yeah. right. Apparently, yeah, apparently he's referred to as Locke in, like, this episode. Yeah, Walter Sykes specifically called him Locke yeah. Archer. He said Locke Archer, he used to be a regent. There you go. Which, which implies that the actor Locke Archer is a regent. Yes. Playing himself. <laughs> yes, in, in universe there exists a Locke Archer played by Locke Archer. Yeah. And he is a regent of Warehouse 13. Yeah. Well, was. He's dead now. Right. Ah. Uh, and, uh... I love all of these number regents because it's like... Uh, he was seen at Artie's evaluation and the... Like, Regent 11, the photo is, like, a close-up on someone's chin and, like, half of someone's face in the background. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, is is he the guy in the front or the guy in the back? It's hard to say. Uh, Let's see, the guy in the back is in some sort of olive drab thing. Yeah, I love I love these number region uh, articles. He's just some blurry guy, or some farther away but in focus guy. I'm not sure which one is funnier. Right. <laughs> Maybe they're both region. Maybe they're both region one, and when they're together, they're region eleven. Right. You gotta put. You gotta keep them together. <laughs> Otherwise, they start like, "Oh, I'm region one. Oh, I'm region one." It's a whole thing. It right. takes forever to to figure out. Yeah, they will not settle. And they won't just let it go. It's a whole mess. Mm. Anyways, Lock Archer's dead, uh, and uh, this this guy, this you know, big suit wearing guy, is like, oh, yeah, Sally was right. Uh, Steve Jinx is um on with us or whatever. You know, he's he's sympathetic. Yeah, he could be useful or whatever. Yeah. So now we're suddenly learning what the motivation for this season's big bad is and it's that the warehouse took away his legs yeah which you know what that's the best villain motivation we've had so far i get it right yeah it his whole deal strikes me as pretty strange like because he's made out to the thing is, he is evil. Like, he just kills people because he can. Like, he killed Sally last episode. Yeah, because the bracelet, wearing the bracelet once as a kid made him evil for the rest of his life. Right. Yeah, it, it seems like you couldn't possibly get this far if you just kill everyone who ever I helps mean, you. I mean, if I know any, if I've learned anything from 
living in the United States is that evil people do find success in business. True. Yeah, but, like, Sally was actively still useful to him. Yeah, no, that was weird. It, it seemed more like, well, you know, she's gotta go do something else, so we can't, like, have the actress around anymore. Uh... Right. Yeah, that was that was very strange. Uh... And this is just all all Walter Sykes ever does. He's just constantly killing He's just constantly like hatching evil schemes and having people killed. Right. Yeah, he got some sort of, like, red small pamphlet thing off of uh, Lock Archer, apparently. It's never made clear what's going on with yeah. that just Yeah, the yet. Wikipedia makes it... The wiki makes it sound like, you know, we'll find out, but I'm trying not to read the wiki page too much because there's spoilers in there. I want to be surprised. But it is very funny to yeah. me that uh, under Known Associates, um, they are St Sally Stakowski, deceased, Marcus Diamond, deceased, Tyler Struhl, deceased, unnamed assassin, parentheses, the new guy, deceased, James Aquino, deceased, <laughs> Steve Jinks, alive slash undeceased. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Alive slash undeceased. Yep. Uh, we're gonna come back around to that. Uh. <laughs> They're very... I don't know that that terminology is correct. I have, uh, I have some reservations about the terminology. Oh no, I... I think that's probably fair. Does Steve die and then come back? Oh, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert. Steve uh, dies. Uh, oh, no, not Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see I, soon. It, it's only in a couple I episodes. I can't believe they fucking kill off Steve Jinx, that guy. That really good guy we like. Yeah, our favorite guy. He just showed up. He's been around for a couple episodes. Now he quit. And now I'm hearing he's gonna die? Man, stop playing with my heart's strings, Steve. My Steve strings. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, uh... I, I wasn't really sure how the wiki would handle that. But yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, there, there's certainly something to talk about there, but that's for another day. Mm -hmm. There will be more once we've watched those episodes. There will be plenty more time. There will be plenty of opportunities to talk about everyone's favorite guy who they love, Steve Jinx. Right. They love the way he's steving. They love the way he's detecting lies. They love it. Yep. All right. <laughs> Do we want to wrap up? Yeah, now? it works for me. I have a. I finally ran out of space in like the, the Sam's Club pack of stenographers pads, that I bought a couple okay. years ago. So now I'm using a big old legal pad to take notes on. Let me tell you, I feel a lot more professional. Yeah. I'm on the, uh, the old rocket book. Ooh, fancy. So I can just wipe my pages down and start fresh. Futuristic. It is... Uh, I'm a big fan. Like, I I think that most of these smart notebook technologies are very bad. This is just some paper you can wipe mm -hmm. off, and you can take a picture of it with your phone. Yeah, what more do you need? 
It, it just mm-hmm. works. It works, folks. You have to use the special pens, though, which is mildly inconvenient. Mm-hmm. I am. Imp- but those pens are the only good erasable pen I've ever oh. used. Oh, happy ending. I am impressed they got, like, an actual famous guy to play their villain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they... It's weird, because it always feels like they're setting up these big season story arcs to be a bigger deal. Yeah. But then they they spend half the season fucking around every time. Yeah, and like... So it never gives you the opportunity for it to actually be a big deal. Yeah, like, up until now, he's just been, like, this shadowy figure. Ooh, who can do whatever? I'm so scared. Like, at least, like, they talked up McPherson and Helena. Except for that time when they just kind of forgot about Helena. Right, yeah, when she's off doing whatever and no one cared. But then, Artie is really concerned about her all of a sudden. Right. Yeah, I don't get why the the show keeps doing that. Yeah, it seems like it would be, well, no, like I, it's very frustrating seeing them like do this with their villains every time. Yeah, like if I were storyboarding this show, it feels like to me anyway. You start out with a big letter A for A mm-hmm. plot, then you have a big letter B for B plot, then you have like. Okay, how are we going to advance the story arc? And you make sure you have one of each of those pretty much every episode. And like, and we keep talking about this, or at least I do. The thing is, like, they do the they do the building up competently most of the time. This season was not great, but like, it's just that they fuck it up at the end every time. They they yeah. just cannot stick the landing. Yeah, and to me it always feels like like for both Helena and uh Walter Sykes, the way they build these people up, like and even McPherson, they they do this thing where they don't do anything with them at first. So then they build up all of what you know about them all at once in the next three episodes then they have to wrap up the season so the next couple episodes is just knocking those down yeah. and the villain is always it, almost, like for McPherson and uh, Walter they're both like big super duper masterminds who can do anything and everything was always part of their master plan right yeah so it it seems like if anything it it feels like we should have more time with these characters. Yeah. Like, I would care more about the baddies if they seemed more consequential. Yeah. And, like, yeah, because, like, I cared about Helena, but, like, well, I'm not going to relitigate my feelings about their Helena's story, you know? It's... At least they fucked it up, but right. at least they fucked it up in a different, more interesting way. Right. Uh... Yeah. This I'm this feels like it's building up to McPherson but less interesting. We will see. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be pretty close to our uh our conclusion mm-hmm. there. It feels different. McPherson 
Uh, you know what? Now, <laughs> I don't know. McPherson was like, we knew about McPherson. We knew things about McPherson. Yeah, like Artie knew everything about. Yeah, McPherson. like we had, we had like three like or he, four different he, conflicting motivations for McPherson. <laughs> we, yeah, he felt like a full character. Yeah. And Walter kind of fails to ever get yeah, there. Yeah, like, McPherson had... Like, his character traits are in a wheelchair, likes baseball, and killing people. Yeah, like, yeah, McPherson, like, you know, he had a motivation. He had several conflicting motivations. He had, like, desires. He wanted things and did them. What? Right. Yeah. He, he lies to the camera? He maybe sometimes tells the truth to the camera. Like, in McPherson's case, they were like, oh, they just got too clever for their own yeah. good. And I don't think they're going to do that yeah, with like, Walter. I don't think they're going to pretend like he has this, you know, multi-layered strategy that has all of these moving pieces. Yeah. Like, McPherson, like, has a a good reason for why he does things. Like, that's a, this is the thing you see very often in, like, I don't want to say bad writing, but, like, it's, it's the, it's the D&D &D problem or whatever, or the fan, the racist Tolkien fantasy problem where, like, people do evil things because they're evil, because they have the evil gene, or, in this case, because they put on an evil bracelet when they were eight. Right. But, like, that's, that's not very compelling, like. McPherson had McPherson right. had a reason to do what he did. He was wronged. He felt like he was wronged. He had, you know, his the he had a bunch of different conflicting things he wanted to do with that. But at least like you could kind of get where he was coming from. Yeah, he had a lot of background. I mean, like Walter seems to only succeed because of this supernatural evil within him. I think a normal person would have failed where he is. Mm-hmm. But, like, I guess artifacts are powerful, I guess. Yeah, like, look, if there's one thing I know about succeeding in America, it's that if you have, if you are just pure evil, if you have no conscience, if you're willing to just do evil shit for power and money, and also you're a white guy, good news. There's a place for yeah. you in the halls of power. There's a whole country built There's for you. There's a place for you in the halls of power. Yeah. Uh, anyways, maybe we should actually crap this up. Uh, truly it was a Warehouse 13. I've been the internet's beloved Princess Grace. You can find my writing programs, podcast posts, everything else that's fit to plug at princess.software. Timmy, where can we find you? I'm Timmy at George.horse. That's about it. Fair enough. Minidus.rock still going? Uh, probably. I think the <laughs> website's still up. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I navigated to it. It is Hell up. yeah. If you want an account, hit me up on my Mastodon account, because don't message me on minidus.rocks. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, fair enough. This lovely creature, yes I asked, yes I asked Would you walk with me a while through this night so vague? <laughs>